It was great to have everyone. Uh, welcome to all of you uh, today. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend, hard to believe. Uh, hopefully, uh, how many of you got turkey in the oven right now? Only one person, the turkey's in the oven right now? Okay, so I can go long today. That's what we're saying. I can preach for a long time because no one's rushed to get home to get the bird out of the oven for one family. So, Okay, and a uh, special welcome if you're joining us online as well. Uh, we are in week three of a series called What Would Jesus Undo? And the whole point of this series is to look at the teachings of Jesus and to look at them closely because so often in culture today, we, we view Christianity just like maybe some ways we view any religion, that Christianity, Christianity is simply a bunch of things that we do. It, it's a list of things that we do. So based on my busy life that I live right now, well, when I become a Christian, then I'm going to add Christianity stuff into my life. You know, and if it fits, if it's convenient, and I'll participate in some things and not participate in others based on the margin that I have available in my life. Well, the problem with that mindset that Christianity is simply stuff that we do is that fundamentally it's not the teaching of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus came to undo many things in our hearts, to undo many things in our minds, to undo many things that we are doing already in life. So we started this series off talking how Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness. And we saw how you and I have received the greatest gift of forgiveness available to all mankind. And it's the fact that there is a holy, perfect, righteous, creator God who loves you so much and has forgiven you of your sin. And because we are forgiven, we live lives of forgiveness. So Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness that could creep into our hearts and into our lives. Last week, we continued on that theme. Because we are so forgiven, we actually bring God gifts when we come to him in worship. Worship isn't a style of music. Worship is a condition of the heart. Worship isn't our personal preference. Worship is coming and presenting gifts to God. It's our act of worship presenting this to God that, if we're not careful, can be done in vain if our hearts are not right. So we looked at how Jesus wants to undo hollow worship, worship that's done in vain, where it's more about our traditions than our heart. So today we're going to continue on this theme of what would Jesus undo, and today I want to talk about pride. And specifically, I'm going to talk about spiritual pride. And to help set up a working definition for us of what spiritual pride is, I want you to ask yourself, how do you define someone as being spiritually mature? Now, you don't have to shout this out loud, but just think about this in your mind for a moment. What is your working definition of someone who is spiritually mature? Maybe for you, in your definition of spiritual maturity, you're thinking of people who are really good at spiritual disciplines. You know, that person who gets up at 5.30 in the morning, even in the wintertime when it's pitch dark, 
and they journal, and they read their Bible, and they spend like an hour and a half with the Lord every single day at 5.30 a.m. Maybe you're thinking of someone who studies the Scripture, someone who knows the Bible really, really well, has a lot of Bible verses memorized. Maybe you're thinking of someone who's a really good leader, and they've done a lot of great accomplishments in the church. What is your definition of spiritual maturity? I think what happens for most of us, if we're not careful, is on most of our lists, we're looking at things that are external. The devotional life, the the way they perform in leadership, reading of the Bible. We look at external things, and we judge people to be spiritually mature because of the external. What happens when we make the external our litmus test of what spiritual maturity is? We are in danger of falling into spiritual pride. All of us, regardless of how long we've been following Jesus, can easily fall into spiritual pride when we are focused on the externals. So I want us to look in Luke chapter 18. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up there. Or if you've got the church app, you can follow along that way as well. Luke chapter 18. And I want to talk about what happens when we misplace our sense of worth, our sense of value. And Jesus is dealing directly with this issue of spiritual pride in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to start reading here in verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So let me just set this up, give a little bit of context of what's going on. Is Luke is recording the ministry of Jesus as Jesus is traveling from town to town. He's recording the different miracles. He's recording the different parables or stories that Jesus is telling the people in order for them to understand truly the heart of God and the kingdom of God. And he says, Luke makes this point to say that in this context, Jesus is speaking to a specific type of person. He's speaking to a specific type of person, those who were confident in their own righteousness. That's why we started this series off in the very first week talking about forgiveness. (laughs) Is what makes us righteous? It's not the fact that we go to church. It's not the fact that we volunteer. It's not the fact that we tithe our income. It's not the fact, whatever. You are not made righteous by the external things we do. We are made righteous by our faith in Jesus who died and rose again. That's it. That's how forgiveness is received. That is what declares you righteous. But Luke makes the point here that Jesus is about to talk to some who are confident in their own righteousness. It's people who are confident in how they do their religion, in the results that they are seeing. And as we're going to see as we unpack this, they're seeing good results. They're doing good work. They're accomplishing good things. But they've begun to believe their own hype. 
They've begun to believe that they are what's important. Spiritual pride has kicked in. And spiritual pride, our own righteousness, can creep in so easily. Especially when a church is healthy. Wow, look at all the people coming. Look at the people getting saved, giving their faith to Jesus. Look at the number of people getting baptized. Look at all the kids coming to youth group. Look at all the groups that we got started now. Look at all the money coming in. Look at, look at, look at. Wow, aren't we doing a great job? Aren't we awesome? Now, there's nothing wrong with noticing, taking pride in work that is well done. Nothing wrong with liking what you're doing, liking the results. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it leads to looking at our own righteousness and we begin to look down on everyone else. We look down on everyone else, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, churches that are declining, whatever that it may be. So this is who Jesus is directing this parable to. Those who are confident in their own righteousness and because of that have begun to look down on everybody else. So let's continue. Jesus tells the story. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Jesus introduces his story with the two main characters, the Pharisee, the tax collector. And they are going into the temple to pray. You need to understand a little bit about the temple to fully grasp the magnitude of this story. You see, in Jerusalem in those days, they had this ginormous temple paid for by David, built by Solomon, And in the temple was the full presence of the glory of God. It was in a room called the Holy of Holies. And that room was off limit to everybody. It was guarded by this big giant tapestry. And behind this tapestry, this big giant curtain, was the glory, the manifest presence of God himself. Now yes, is God everywhere? Yes, God is everywhere. Yes, can God go everywhere? Yes, God goes everywhere. Can God work everywhere? Yes, God works everywhere. But his manifest glory was in the temple. These men are going into the presence of God. That's what it meant to go into the temple to pray. And as you progressed in the temple that you were drawing closer and closer to the presence of God, And they built rules and regulations to keep certain people out of the presence of God. If you weren't Jewish, there were actually stones. warnings saying, if you're a non-Jewish person and you pass this stone, we have permission to kill you. Because you're going to wreck the presence of God. You're going to make it unclean. So these two men, the Pharisee, the tax collector coming into the presence of God in the temple. Two different types of men. The first, the Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the temple. They 
guarded the tradition of the elders. These were men who kept the 613 laws. These are the men who fought hard to ensure all the people of Israel kept the law and the traditions. They were leaders of leaders. They were the spiritual elite. Everyone wanted to be a Pharisee. We as modern day Christians, we look at the, Maris, the Pharisees and we mock them. Oh, what a bunch of losers. How stupid are they? You know, they should have known better. I would have known better. Here's the truth about Pharisees. We all can be one. Me, you, all of us. Because the Pharisees didn't start as these hard-nosed people. Like, it was a 400-year journey for the Pharisees. They started this stuff because they wanted to serve God. They wanted to see God glorified. They wanted to honor the presence of God in the lives of the people. And it just started becoming very religious. But the people, the crowds, look at the Pharisee, and that is the person to admire because all the externals line up with what it means to be a good religious person. Because of all the externals, the Pharisee is the guy to be. Then you have the tax collector. Back in Jesus' day, there was a superpower called Rome, led by Caesar. And when Rome would come into a nation and take over the nation, what they would do is they would hire people who were conquered and set them up as tax collectors to collect money to bring back to Rome. So the people who were conquered sell their people out to get jobs working for the conquering government. They become tax collectors. They take people's money and give it to the enemy. And the way they were paid, the way they made their living was, if I had to, I was a tax collector, I had to collect 100 pieces of silver, I could charge you 150. I keep the 50, I send the 100 to Caesar. Not well liked. You know, sold out their own people for their own greed. And the Jewish people had categories of sinners. And basically, you could do every single sin in the book, and you were still better than a tax collector. This is scum of the universe. Doesn't get any worse than this person. So these are the two people who are coming to step in closer to the presence of God, to pray to God. The person whose externals are perfect, that everyone wants to be like, and the person whose life is a complete mess everyone despises. That is what's happening here. And then the story continues. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. So the, Pharisee, the Pharisee's prayers are, God, thank you that I'm me. Thank you, God, that I am capable of keeping all the religious rules. Thank you, God, that I'm not stumbling in this. Thank you, God, for how great you've made me. 
Now, what's interesting about this, the stuff that he's thanking God for is some good stuff. Like, is it wrong to thank God that your family's doing okay? No. Is it wrong to thank God that you're healthy when you see other people who are not healthy? No. Is it wrong to thank God that you've got a good job when you know other people around you don't? You're looking at me like it's a trick question. No. (laughs) It's not wrong to thank God for these things. We thank God for his provision. We thank God for his blessings. I mean, we even have a holiday around it this weekend. We're thanking God. (laughs) You know, for all of the good things that we've received, there's nothing wrong with giving thanks to God. Thank you, God, that I have not given into that sin in 20 years. Thank you, God, that I have not, you know, allowed temptation to overcome my life. The prayers are okay in theory, (laughs) but the heart is wrong. The heart is wrong because it's about his externals, and at the end of the prayer is, thank you so much, I'm not like that guy. All of his problems, the fact that we all hate him, that he's a sellout, that he's a sinner, thank you God that I'm not like him. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. Spiritual pride sneaks in, and we don't even see it coming, because it's such a slippery slope, right? It starts off that you can give thanks to God for the talents that you have. You thank God for the ministry that you get to be a part of. You thank God for the fact that you get to influence people's lives as a follower of Jesus. We thank God for that. But then the spiritual pride kicks in when it's like, wow, man, my family would be a mess if it wasn't for me. Man, my church, they'd close the doors if I ever left. Man, my small group, if it wasn't me here keeping my life group together, this thing would fall apart. That's how spiritual pride kicks in. When we start looking at ourselves, looking at ourselves, and spiritual pride, it, it, it promises us some stuff. But they're, they're bad promises. They're false promises. Like, spiritual pride falsely promises uh, the idea of self-sufficiency. <coughs> right? Self-sufficiency is like, well, I've got this. I don't need anybody. Like, I don't need to pray for this. I can manage it. I don't need to ask God for this. I can manage it. Or it can even be, well, you know, I've got this. I don't need to join a life group because why would I want to go to a group and listen to other people's problems every week when I have my own stuff to deal with? Right? Amen. I'm surprised no one said, yeah, preach. It's a great reason not to go to a life group. I have all my own problems. I don't want to listen to anybody else's. So, and I've got, i got to work on my own problems. So I don't have time for your problems because I'm self-sufficient. I've got this. Right? Spiritual pride also falsely promises self-importance. Right? That I'm valuable. Right? Because I live in the right neighborhood, because I, you know, I'm the coach of the right team, you know, this organization couldn't survive without me, whatever that 
attitude is we can start seeing ourselves as we're so valuable. <coughs> Nothing could be done without us. We start building up our own self-importance. And the other thing that spiritual pride can do is it also builds up our self-exaltation. It's like, wow, I'm awesome. Look how good I am. So talented I am, look how smart I am, look how bright I am, look how successful I am. And we start exalting ourselves. It's an inward emotion that then starts to play outward in how we treat people, how we think of people how we pray for other people. We can fall into this trap of spiritual pride when we are basing our value on our accomplishments, our gifts, the fact that we can keep the rules, when we compare ourselves to other people. This inward emotion leads to religion. The comparison of how is everybody else doing spiritually compared to me. And Jesus is telling this story to help me and to help you overcome spiritual pride. The story continues in verse 13. But, I love that word in the Bible. You see, the tax collector, everyone would be hearing this story going, what's wrong? Everything, yeah, this lines up exactly with what I believe. Yeah, I don't want to be the tax collector either. <laughs> I want to be the Pharisee. But Jesus says, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance, would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The beating of the breast is a sign of repentance. <laughs> sign of the, your heart breaking. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. This is the cries of a man who knows who he is. Now this is a man who's probably wealthy, probably has power and influence in the city. He probably can go to any party he wants to because if you deny him, he could get you arrested. He has so much power and authority. But deep down, he knows. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. This is a radically different kind of prayer from the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector shows us the difference of a heart that's truly repentant. And the Pharisee shows us this arrogance, this spiritual pride in their abilities over God himself. Now, the challenging thing about this text is in our context, how do you take this text and apply it to, you know, suburban Canadian life, Right? I don't think Canadians, and I don't think our church, Greenbelt, struggles with this prideful arrogance. Maybe. I don't see it too often. But I think we struggle with a different spiritual pride. And I would call this reverse spiritual pride. 
And reverse spiritual pride is just as sneaky because what reverse spiritual pride is, it's false humility. You know, like you show up to church one day in a nice jacket. And someone goes, wow, that's a really nice jacket. And you are unable to accept the compliment. Well, you know, I I got it on sale. (laughs) Because the last thing you want is anyone to know how much you really paid for the jacket. Because you're like, you know, you don't want to talk about it. Or, you know, you're, you, you do a really good job leading your small group. And someone says, wow, that, you did a great job facilitating the group this week. Thank you. Well, you know, like someone else makes the questions, I just read them. But you're unable to take a compliment. It's like, well, you know, you sang that song beautifully. Well, you know, no, that, that, that's because Cam trained me. And we used the click tracks and we turned my mic off. It wasn't actually me. Okay? Like... What is it about the fact that we can't take a compliment? It's a false humility. And some of us love, love our false humility. Oh, woe is me. Look at me, my life, so hard. Everyone notice, everyone talk about me, everyone pray for me, everybody help me. We love this false humility. Right? And, and what we do, too, is it's not just with certain things like that I've shared. It also can be, well, you know, I'm not going to raise my hands when I sing worship because I don't want anyone to think I'm like one of those Christians. Or, well, I can't, like, volunteer in a ministry because, well, you know, like, only, like, the elite can do that. Or I can't, you know, serve. Or I can't give. Or I can't. <coughs> you make up all these excuses And you know what? Every single one of your excuses, my excuses of why we can't do something is pride. It's pride. It's reverse pride. It's pride. Because you think your situation is greater than God. (laughs) That I can't be a leader. I could never, like, learn to be a leader because, you know, I'm not good enough. You don't believe God can transform you. Well, I could never start being generous and start giving money to to organizations that need money because I need the money. You don't believe God will provide. That's your pride, just in the reverse way. So we are all in danger of spiritual pride. Whether you're a Pharisee or whether you attend a church in the suburbs of Ottawa or lead a church in the suburbs of Ottawa, We are all, it's very dangerous, spiritual pride. Because spiritual pride, and this is the big idea that I think Jesus is getting at in this story. Spiritual pride is all about my glory. But true humility is about God's glory. Spiritual pride is all about my glory. And true humility is about God's glory. So look how Jesus finishes the story here after the prayers of the tax collector. It says in verse 14, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, excuse me, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Spiritual pride is all about my glory, true humility is all about God's glory. So how do we undo this? How do we guard our hearts against spiritual pride? 
and give you three points. We'll walk through them together. encourage you to write these down. You'll be discussing them in your life group this week. The first thing that we have to understand is this, is when we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God. See, when you and I are full of ourselves, there's no room for God. When we're so self-absorbed, there's no room for God. Right? When it says, but the tax collector, it's the contrast between the tax collector and the Pharisee. Right? The tax collector stands at a distance. He doesn't even want to come into the presence of God because he understands who he is. And I know sometimes we feel that way. That we just feel like we can't come into God's presence. If God really knew what I was like, if this church really knew me, if the people that are in my life group really knew who I was, I wouldn't be welcomed here. And that's false. That's spiritual pride when churches treat people that way. Right? And we see the tax collector. He couldn't even lift up his head. He couldn't lift up his head in praise of victory. He had to lower his head in the defeat of his sin. That's his posture of worship. And what's fascinating about the Pharisee is he doesn't try to justify his life. He doesn't make excuses. Well, the only reason I'm a tax collector is because my mom didn't love me. I wasn't breastfed as a baby, so that's why I've got this sin in my life now. Yeah, he's not doing that. Like, well, if only a rabbi would have taken me under his wing when I was little, then maybe I would have been a Pharisee. Like, he's not playing the blame game. He's not playing the victim card. He owns up who he is. He's not full of himself. And because he's not full of himself, there's room for God to work. Because he's not full of himself, that's what makes him justified. Justified is a big, fancy theological word, which means, are we right with God? Are we right with God? And the Pharisee isn't, but the tax collector is. Because he He's not full of himself. There's room there for God to work. And this is the great place that we have to find ourselves in. If you want to gain victory over spiritual pride or you don't want that to ever take a grip of your life, we've got to make sure that we're putting things in place, relationships in place, to guard ourselves from being too full of ourselves. That leads to the second point. The second point is this. When we empty ourselves... We are in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. When we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Someone during the, the caf, at the cafe time in between the services showed me a clip from the movie Avatar. It's like, oh, you should have showed this movie clip. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love Avatar. This movie's great. But it's got this part where the, you know, all the big giant blue people are talking to the, the humans and say, the problem with you humans is, is your cup is already full. And I can't teach you anything else. You have a full cup. It's too full to learn anything else, so you've got to empty the cup. <laughs> so it can be filled with something else to learn. And they showed me that clip. I'm like, that would preach. So I used it. <laughs> we need to empty ourselves. When we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. Here's a little confession. I used to be very, very <coughs> spiritually prideful. Very. 
spiritually prideful. And it was a journey, a slippery slope journey that I didn't even notice. When I made the switch from going into, from the computer industry to work in ministry as a pastor, I became an associate pastor at a very large church. And real, be really transparent here, I was, I was terrified. I was terrified of this job. Because everyone in the church was smarter than me, knew the Bible better than me, been in the church longer than me, and now I'm suddenly this staff person who's got to lead this thing. And I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. I'm like, they're going to find me out that I'm a sham and a fake and a phony, and I moved my family from one province to another for this job, and I don't know if I can go back. Like, it was a scary time. And so what I did at that time, I actually created a blog called NewbiePastor.com because I was a newbie. I had no clue what to do, and I used this blog because I, I'm a self-starter. Like, if I need to learn something, I don't wait for people, well, I wish someone would teach me how to do this. No, I go learn it. I just do it myself. I don't wait for someone to feed me. I go, I go hunting. I go find food. Right? It's self-starter. I got, I'm going to get what I need. So that's what I did for the first three years. I went to the right conferences. I showed up at the meetings I needed to go to. I read the books. And within three years, I wasn't a newbie anymore. I'd become the expert. And people started coming to me. And Kevin, how do we do this? And Kevin, could you teach us how? Kevin, could you show me? <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> the newbie pastor is now about to go on the preaching circuit. He's going to start, you know, signing books and writing books and going to all the conferences. And so I'm writing in my blog about how my ideas are so much better than other people's ideas. And the ministry that I was a part of at the time, the church when we got there was about 20 people. We grew it to about 85. That's ginormous growth. All because of how awesome I am. And my plans and my skill sets and everything that I put into place. And I had a mentor of mine who was loving and gentle. She took me out for lunch. I said, Kat, I read your um, blog. Oh, yeah, cool. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except for the fact that you put down churches that don't believe and aren't doing things like you do. I went, oh, snap. I started looking down at other churches that weren't doing it my way. Right. And we're seeing fruit. And they're wrong. But they're seeing fruit too. And God broke that. And he broke it by bringing me back to this story. So what if my church was growing? So what if we were seeing people coming to Christ? So what if we were seeing all this fruit? I, guess what, still had sin in my life that God needed to work through. I still had junk that God was chipping away. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I started looking at other brides of Christ like they're less than mine. When you empty yourself, you get put into an amazing, perfect position to be filled by the grace of God. Again, nothing wrong with your skill set. Nothing wrong with your talent. Nothing wrong with what God has blessed you with. Those are good things. But when we use those things to start putting other people down or start exalting ourselves, there's nothing God can do with us but break us. 
And sometimes it's just that gentle, loving conversation from a mentor. Maybe it's just a gentle, loving conversation, someone in your life group. Sometimes it's a gentle, loving kick to the throat by someone. Whatever that is, it's got to be done to open our eyes to the fact that we become spiritually prideful. And all of us can go there. When we see someone whose marriage is falling apart, oh, thank God my marriage isn't like that. We see someone whose kid has walked away from the Lord and living some crazy life. Well, thank God my kid isn't. Those people, they don't need your judgment and your criticism. They need your love. They need to know God's grace while they're in that situation. God wants to break us of our pride, to be filled by his grace. And this leads us into the third point, is when we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be used by God. See, the tax collector is invited to follow Jesus, to come with him, to be on the mission with him. The tax collector is a guy named Matthew. He wrote one of the books in your New Testament. I don't see anything in here written by a Pharisee. It's used by God in a mighty way. When he emptied himself... He's filled by God's grace, and then he's sent to work in God's mission. But he's got to, it's not about exalting himself. God has a great mission for the church. We here at Greenbelt, we, we, we say this. This is our vision statement. This is why we put this stuff on the wall. This is why this stuff is so important to grasp. When we say that we want to be a vibrant, growing Christian community, engaged in reaching 10,000 people with the gospel, that's a great mission. That's important stuff that God wants to do. And everyone has a part of in that. Oh, no, I'm not good enough. Oh, no, I could never. In Jesus' name, stop it. Knock it off. If you think you're not good enough, then you don't know who God is enough. Empty yourself of yourself and be filled by his grace. Let him actually work in your life. Don't just go to church, but plug in. Get involved. Let God work in you. He's got this great mission that he wants to accomplish. See, and what's fascinating about the story about the tax collector is he goes with Jesus. Jesus goes into his home. And the crowd still looks at this going, what the heck is wrong with Jesus? The crowd can't see the condition of the heart. Right, the crowds go, no, I would have picked the Pharisee. That's who I would have picked. They're smarter, they're educated, they know their stuff, they're powerful people. Jesus, he's a moron. He picked tax collectors. But Jesus knows it's the condition of the heart that changes the world, not just the externals. The crowd will always show up and criticize us. The crowd will always show up and criticize you. When we came up with that statement as elders, the crowd showed up. Who do you think you are, Kevin, to reach 10,000 people? Who does Greenbelt think they are to have an impact like that? Boy, are you ever full of yourself? Or not? Do we recognize the gifts and the talents that are around in the room? Yes. Do we want to put people into the right places so they can serve and grow in their faith? Absolutely. We think God has got an amazing plan. God has brought amazing people to accomplish it, and we're not full of ourselves in any kind of way whatsoever. Because we're just going to bring glory to the name of God. Amen. We're going to bring glory to the name of, that is above every name. 
We're going to bring glory to the name of Jesus and watch the Spirit of God work in our city in amazing ways. And we're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes. Trust me, it's going to be fun. When I make mistakes, please don't send me angry emails. Please show me grace. <laughs> we just made the decision to take the Arabic church that meets here on Sunday afternoons, and they're going to shut their church down. They're going to merge in with us. It's going to be one church, one mission, two languages. Do I know how to do that? Nope. <laughs> but I'm going to figure it out. Exactly, with God. And we're going to try it. Because God's got to make a plan for all of us. But we got to empty ourselves of our spiritual pride that it's all about us, it's all about our plans. No, it's all about God's glory. God wants his glory to be known. And he's going to show that through you. Through your life. Through my life. Through this church's life. Through many churches' lives. So we have a choice. Just like the tax collector and the Pharisee. Everyone who heard this story has a choice. You and I have heard the story. The choice is ours. Do you want to just continue in our pride so that the world loves us? Or are we going to humble ourselves? Come before a God who loves us. Be emptied of our pride. Give our hearts and our lives to the mission of Jesus. Because all those who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled one day. Those who humble themselves now for the work of God and the gospel, they'll be exalted. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you for this parable, this story that's really short, but has done amazing work in my life. Five little verses that honestly, when I read this, still brings tears to my eyes. Because um, God, every day I need your mercy. Every day, God, I need your mercy. God, I pray for all of us here today who are in need of your mercy. Some of us have been struggling and hurting and maybe even lost in our pride. I pray that even today we can come into your presence in this place and realize that you love us so much. That you love us so much that you died for us. That you rose from the grave. That you ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. And you speak to God the Father on our behalf. Not because we're so perfect and good, but because of your righteousness because of your holiness, because of what you have done. And we thank you that you sent your spirit to comfort us, to counsel us, to guide us in all truth. And that you've equipped us and called us into the mission of making disciples of all the nations, of seeing more people baptized, seeing more people freed from the powers of darkness and death. God, today we come to you thankful that we've received your mercy. And we're thankful to hear the words that were justified before God. And you might be here today, and maybe you're not too sure where you stand with God. I just want you to know how much God loves you. And it's not by accident that you're hearing this. God does have an amazing plan for your life. 
but it starts with not you striving and working to be religious. It starts with you being justified by God. The Bible says you do that real simply just by believing that Jesus died for you. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead, you'll be saved. Jesus says you confess that with your mouth. You're justified. So if you're here today, you could just pray very simply, God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you that I can be made new. Thank you, God, that I'm justified not by my works, but by the faith that I can have in Jesus. If you've done that today, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're watching online and you make that decision, you can just click that banner right below me. We'd love to get in touch with you as well. But I pray that we would all be men, women, boys, and girls who do away with our spiritual pride. Because it's a work of God. God wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Through his power at work in you and in me. We're going to collect our tithes and our offerings now. This is just part of our worship. Back to God, if you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give unless God puts it on your heart. Let me just pray for the offering. God, we thank you for the generosity that you put in so many people's hearts. God, we pray that you would multiply this giving greatly to continue to bring the good news of Jesus to so many people who need to hear it, starting with ourselves. God, we pray for our church plants, our missionaries, our fellowship, and all the amazing things that you're doing. God, I pray that you would just bless this offering. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, help each and every one of us to empty ourselves be filled by your grace because pride spiritual pride is not about is about my glory and we want to be walking in true humility with our God to reveal your glory <laughs>